0: Good morning. good morning! Welcome to worship. I'm Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope. So good to be together on this Palm Sunday. Welcome to those who are online as well. We are so glad that you are here. A few months ago, I, I, my wife and I took our little almost two-year-old son ice fishing for the first time and, and we got out into the ice house and, and we put a line down in the water and what do you know, The fish cooperated, and soon enough, we had a walleye on there. We reeled it up. It came out, and and we looked at it, and we took a picture, and we put it back down the hole, and my little son looked at me, and he said, do it again. Do it again. Today, we do it again. We do something that we've done and that we do every year. We raise our palms and we welcome Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem here at the beginning of Holy Week, into Jerusalem and into our lives and into our hearts. We call him our king and we ask him to save us. We do it again. Our voices cry out those words, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray as we begin. Father in heaven, as we encounter your word, our prayer today is that it would show us who we are, but even more than that, Lord, that it would show us who you are and who we are in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. For at least 9,000 years, or probably many more, there's a sickness that, that humans have faced. Our, our earliest knowledge of this disease can be traced back to a mother and child who were buried in this ancient city of at yam which is buried uh, now underwater off the coast of modern-day Israel. This is, is a disease that's been written about in the ancient histories of India and China. It's a disease that in the 1600s in Europe uh, was the cause of death for 25 5% of, of the people who died during that time period. It was well before modern medicine, and, and all people knew were the symptoms weakness, night sweats, weight loss, coughing, fever, chest pain, sometimes even coughing up blood. Scary, scary stuff. People didn't understand it, but they gave it names. They gave it names. The ancient Greeks called it phthisis. The Romans called it tabes. The Hebrews called it skaphath. Later it was called in Europe the white plague because it made people pale. And nobody really knew what to do about it. They, they tried all sorts of things. They tried warmth and rest and good food in the Middle Ages. When people had this disease, they would go to the kings and the queens and they would line up and wait to go and to be touched by those kings and queens, hoping that a royal touch would save them and cure them. Later on, people would try all sorts of other things, cod liver oil, vinegar, hemlock, turpentine. And by the 1800s, these fevers and these night sweats, and they were killing one out of seven people in the United States. And then something happened. Something happened that changed the course of history. a man that none of us in this room today ever met, Dr. Robert Koch, he discovered something. He discovered the cause of those symptoms. What was beneath all of those names that had been spoken over the centuries? It was this little bacteria, and he gave it a name. He called it Mycobacterium tuberculosis. It was something that nobody else, nobody could see. But it it was the cause of the problems that people had feared and faced for hundreds, thousands of years. That little tiny bacteria was way too small for for anyone to see with the naked eye. It had eluded them for thousands of years, but now they knew and medicine started to fight against it, and because they knew what caused all of those symptoms, they started to succeed. We don't hear too much about it anymore, tuberculosis. And that's because Dr. Koch found something deeper than those symptoms. He got to the heart of the problem. You see what people wanted? They wanted relief from those headaches and those night sweats and the coughing and the death, but they couldn't get it without digging deeper to the cause. 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth, a man who had gone out and gathered up 12 disciples, a man who had wandered the countryside telling stories about the kingdom of God, a man who had stood up to the religious elites, a man who had healed the sick, a man who had proclaimed forgiveness, a man who had shared meals with the outcast and the lost, who who had given hope to the hopeless 2,000 years ago. That man, Jesus, he stood outside of the towns of Bethphage and Bethany, north of Bethlehem where he was born, just outside of the city of Jerusalem. And he sent two of his disciples into that town to get him a donkey, something to ride as he entered into the city of Jerusalem. You see, everybody was coming to Jerusalem at that time because it was what good Jews did They were coming to the religious center of their world so that they could celebrate the Passover, so that they could remember and give thanks to God for delivering them out of slavery in Egypt, for delivering them from the Pharaoh's hands. All sorts of people came from all over, and Jesus came to the city too. He came to the east gate of the city. At that time, there were 12 gates to get into the city of Jerusalem, but Jesus came to what was called the Lamb's Gate where all of the innocent lambs would come to be slaughtered for the Passover meal. Jesus came to that gate for a reason, and as he came to the gate, he was greeted by a crowd. They were excited. They laid their coats on the ground. They cut branches from the trees and they waved them in the air. And they yelled, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, which means in Hebrew, save us, please. Save us, please. That crowd needed saving. And they knew it. They just didn't know what they needed saving from. At least not in the way that Jesus knew. The world of the first century, it was a lot like ours, and it was very different from ours, both of those things. The people uh, that lived in in Jesus' time, uh, they had their own set of problems and fears and worries. The Romans were hard at work conquering the world. That little sliver of of the empire where Jesus lived uh, was in between some really important pieces of of territory. So the Romans conquered and ruled in Syria and Judea and Jerusalem, the places where Jesus carried out his ministry. And, And as they ruled, they ruled with this iron fist. They let the Jews have have their religion so that they could keep the peace, but any kind of uprising, they would stomp down with torture and with violence, with things like crucifixion, this horrible, awful stuff. I remember one of my history professors in seminary telling us about the Roman peace, about the Pax Romana, that for the Romans, peace meant that if a town rose up against the empire, they would destroy it and they would burn it, and then they would salt the ground so that nothing could grow there for years and years and years and so you can imagine the kind of fear, the kind of hopelessness, the kind of anger that the people lived with under that type of oppression. These were people who didn't have very much at all and they worked hard to scratch a living out of the dirt or to to bring some fish home from the sea and they had all the worries that we have too. Worries about money, about family, They had grief and loss and sadness and they probably, I know they couldn't talk about it in ways that we do now, but they certainly had battles with mental illness and mental health and depression and anxiety. Life was tough for them. And word gets out that there's somebody who's doing something about all of those things. This Jesus who's wandered the countryside, he's healed the sick, he's fed the hungry, he's given hope where it seemed like there was only darkness in this world. And so the people go out to meet him as he comes into this big city. They cry out for him to save them from all of these things, to save them from hopelessness. From tyranny, from poverty, from hunger, from grief, from anger, from pain, and they welcome him. They welcome him with open arms as their king. It's this joyful parade we recreate it every year. But you and I, we know something that the crowd doesn't. We know where the parade leads, where it ends that it leads to his death, that by the end of the week, some of the crowd will be yelling, crucify him. Some of the crowd, by the end of the week, they'll be hiding. Some of them will be nowhere to be found. Some of them will just go back to their lives because he won't do what they thought he was going to do. He doesn't overthrow the Romans. He doesn't sit on a throne. He doesn't immediately take away all of their problems because that's not why he came. It's much bigger than that. He came to heal a hurt that's a lot deeper than that, one they couldn't see, one that we can't see either. We see only the symptoms, but Jesus came for the disease itself. Long, long time ago, at the very beginning, God created the world and said that it was good, and it was. Until something happened, this little serpent came along, and he told the two people that God had made to disobey God, to eat the one thing that they weren't supposed to eat, and it sounded good, so guess what they did? They ate it, and and all of a sudden, this world was corrupted by sin, this disease of the heart that shows up in all sorts of ways in our world. It shows up as greed and selfishness and violence and death. Those are all of the symptoms of sin, the people who lined up on on the streets on Palm Sunday. They wanted symptom management. They wanted to get rid of the fevers and the night sweats. And they wanted to wave goodbye to Roman occupation and wave goodbye to not having enough and wave goodbye to the pain of life. And that's why they were crying out, Hosanna, save us. But Jesus came not just for the symptoms. He came for the root of the problem, for the heart, to end the power of sin that rips this world apart. And his salvation is so much bigger than the crowd than we could ever imagine. You and I, we have palms today and we're waving them. Not just for the sake of tradition. Not just because we did it last year and we should do it again. Not just to remember something that happened 2,000 years ago. We're doing it because we need saving too. Because the symptoms of sin are all around us and we don't have to look very far. The other day I was driving and I saw a car pass by me and I could see that, that inside there was a couple who was arguing, arguing, arguing with one another. Who knows what about money or kids or something else? I'm sure in that moment they wanted saving from whatever that was. That's the symptom. There's a deeper brokenness that sin has brought into the world and they need saving from that and Frankly, we all do. I can't forget the image that I saw weeks ago of of a family like mine sitting in a subway tunnel in the Ukraine hiding from bombs and violence and war and death above them. This senseless violence, it's, it's a symptom and at the heart is something that we can't see, sin. Our world needs saving from that. The other day I heard that a dear woman from one of the congregations I served before I came here, one of the sweetest, kindest ladies I've ever met, I heard that she had died. Even death is a symptom of the brokenness that sin brings into this world. We need saving from that. And we can't do it on our own. We can manage the symptoms a little bit in this world. There's this beautiful image that came out months ago, about a month ago of a a bunch of strollers at a train station in Poland. Maybe you saw this image. Families had dropped them off, Polish families, for refugees coming across the border from the Ukraine into Poland. It was this beautiful response, this testament to the goodness of humanity, uh, truly a, a saving grace for those families who fled with nothing. I heard the story the other day of this guy who spends his free time Looking for stolen bikes on Craigslist. And then what he does is he goes out and, and confronts the people who stole them. He responds to the ad, and he'll go out to these people and he'll say, You know, I'm not going to say that it was you who stole this, but this bike is stolen. And so I'm going to take it back to its rightful owner. And he does. It's this amazing, strange, sort of random kindness. I read a story the other day of a mom named Jamie. She's going through a divorce, she didn't have a job. She was working hard to find one, but in the meantime, she didn't know how she was going to pay the bills or feed her kids. You know how high the prices of everything are right now? And it was in the midst of that sort of heart-wrenching time in her life that something strange happened. She started to wake up in the morning to groceries on her front step. Happened almost every day until she found a job. And to this day, she has no idea who helped her. We can do things like that. We can manage the symptoms of sin as best we can. We can right some of the wrongs in this world. We can heal some of the hurts. And we should because we're called to do that in the kingdom of God. But today we come face to face with with the truth that there's something that we can't do. We can't get to the root of the problem. We can't heal the heart. Only Jesus can do that. Only his life, only his death, only his resurrection can do that. Jesus rides into Jerusalem today on a donkey, and we're crying out, save us. And we need saving, don't we? But I don't know that we understand the depth of his salvation. I don't know if we ever could, because by the end of the week, Our Savior and our God is going to hang on a cross. And with his dying breath, he'll say, it is finished. Sin is defeated. So instead of understanding it, today let's do what we came to do. Let's grab a palm. Let's hold it in the air. Let's welcome Jesus, not the conquering king, But Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, let's raise up those palms, let's raise our voices, and let's say those words, Hosanna. We're going to say it three times. One, two, three. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he, the only one who can truly save us. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you that you aren't the king that we want, but you're the king that we need. Thank you that you didn't come for symptom management, but that instead you came for the hearts, for our hearts. As we journey to the cross with you this week, bless us, guide us, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.